You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the first recording of Pets Mean Business. Our episodes are designed to support those of you who are already in the pet industry and for those of you who would like to find a place for yourself in the pet industry. There's a lot of amazing folks doing amazing things out there, and we have designed this show to help bring those folks to you to share their stories and share their visions and share their hopes and fears and dreams. You know, speak really honestly and and get some really good insights from what it takes to be successful in the pet industry and the chances that people take and all of the things that make great people great in working with animals. Because as we know, working with animals isn't just about the animal. It's about the people that those animals are attached to. And it's about the people within the business that works with those that work with those animals. So, you know, my perspective has always been as an entrepreneur for all these years working with pets and and working with people is that for me, And this is a controversial statement, I think, but for me, the animals come second and the people come first. Without supporting people and without being a great leader for people and without being sensitive and kind and empathetic towards people, then the animals actually are the ones to suffer. And it's my goal and my hope that throughout our episodes and throughout this show that I can help to bring forth that thought and to bring forth that perspective And I think that the more we can support people in our pet industry, which is so beautiful and so vast and $60 billion and blah, 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 all these things that make this industry so exciting, if we can really get down to taking care of the people in the business and taking care of the people in the industry, then we'll be greater than we already are. So to that, I'm really excited because when I was asked to be a part of Pet Life Radio and to put together the show, they asked me to come up with a list of guests who I think would embody this idea of spirit and entrepreneurship and risk and fearlessness and all the things that I think really, again, embody this beautiful spirit of our industry. And the first person on my list was a woman named Sue Sternberg. And for those of you who know she is, who she is, you already know why I'm saying this. And for those of you who are going to hear about Sue for the first time, you'll understand why. I met Sue at an APDT conference in 19, maybe 2000. She doesn't remember meeting me because I was a peon, but I remember (laughs) meeting her and she was doing some agility work. It was in New York and the cat skills and she was doing this really cool stuff and I was completely mesmerized. And from there, I read everything she wrote and followed her teachings and her trials and tribulations. I was fortunate enough as well to visit uh, her shelter in upstate New York during that same trip. I saw her at many APDT conferences and other activities and things around the country for the last 10 to 15 years. Oh my God, that sounds like a long time. And just recently, um, I was really lucky last year, maybe it was a year and a half ago, Sue, I had dinner with Sue, a personal dinner, which was a big deal for me um, to sit down with Sue and some other friends and colleagues and just talk about dogs in a very real, very non-public way. And as I always expected and always knew, I felt and feel a very strong kinship with Sue. And so... I'm, again, grateful and proud to introduce Sue Sternberg to all of you today. I'm going to give some bio, some quick bio. Bios are always funny because it's very like, 
don't want to be the person who's reading a bio when I have got this amazing person here to talk about her life. But just for a little bit of intro, 30 years of dog behavior experience. Sue has been a dog control officer, which is, I think, where you find probably get the most of your experience as you're starting out in the dog industry. And from there, Sue has gone on to be just a very impressive entrepreneur and has everything from books and businesses. And also her newest endeavor is what I something very close to my heart, which is an iPhone app. So she's now become a tech entrepreneur. Go Sue. Her iPhone app's called the Dog Park Assistant. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to share her websites, her Great Dog Productions website, her shelter website. I'll share everything on Twitter and on Facebook so we can make sure that you guys can reach her and learn more about her beyond this wonderful chat that we're about to have together. Okay, we're going to take a quick break for some sponsored chat. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk with Sue more about dogs and entrepreneurship. Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. Outstanding odor control, quick clumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's Best Cat Litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. The Pet Lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friend. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at Pet Lady World. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Pets Mean Business. I'm Jamie Migdahl, your host, and today is our first episode, and we are so proud to be here with the talented Sue Sternberg. Sue, we're going to get back to talking about all the things that make you a great business person and dog expert. Oh, absolutely. You're wonderful and flattered, and I remember the dinner well, and two of you guys got food poisoning. <laughs> And two of us didn't. I don't remember which two, except I know was, I didn't get food poisoning. It was, it was actually, it was me. That was good, good memory. I wasn't going to bring it up. Terrible memory. Me and Jennifer Bosnos. <laughs> Do you remember the story? She went to the agility trial the next day oh. and ended up, I'm going to be real, I'm going to be, she ended up vomiting and passing out in a porta potty at the agility trial. From the I remember. <laughs> what? Oh I mean, it was true. We shared that one dish that you and Lynn didn't touch. And so we yeah. ended up. This- <laughs> and you know, hey, the restaurant got closed down, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the restaurant was closed down for other health violations. So there you go. Oh, my uh, God. I know. Can you believe it? All right. So we're going to talk today and we're going to talk about who you are and what you're doing and what you want to share. And, you know, my goal for us is to just pick your brain and find out from you where you think things are going, where you've been, and how you think people can help you. 
I think that's something that isn't talked about a lot is, you know, here you are, you're a mover and a shaker and you're innovating all the time. And do you ask people for help? Like ask them for help and in any- spreading my message or something more specific? Both, anything. How do you ask people for help? How do you get in front of people and ask them for help? Is that something that you have an easy time with or is that something that you struggle with? Well, I think I don't ask for direct help. Like last year or maybe the year before, I don't remember, I wanted to try to get like a a national network of trainers to go out on this particular weekend into a dog park and catch a human doing something great at the dog park to try and and use positive reinforcement to help help the dogs that go to dog parks so that humans are, are more attentive. And so that was kind of asking for help. But I think that was that kind of thing I think is easy because there's so many, I think we all want to make things better. Yeah, I think that's right. We're, and so are you getting, when you ask people for that kind of help, what kind of response are you getting? Oh, well, I think very positive. I would love to, you know, I'd love to have a bigger audience reach more people sometimes. I mean, I think that the reason I'm asking is because I'm looking at your Twitter page. Uh, I looked at your Twitter page earlier, and I think you have, you know, I don't know how many followers you have. I looked, I think you have, you know, somewhere around 100, maybe 200 followers. And, you know, the stuff that you talk about that we'll get into, the stuff that you talk about and who you are and how you put yourself out there is so relevant, especially today, given all the things that are happening with dogs and people. And, and you know, I just wonder how you have, hey, you have 79 followers. Sue, come on, we've got to get that up there. How do you... <laughs> Come on, we got to get more. How do you get the word out there that you, how do you get the word out to the people who you know are so willing to help, help you get your word out there? How do you do that? Well, I mean, social media is great, I think. And I certainly do workshops. So I talk to people at workshops and I have DVDs and I try to get the message out there that way. I would love to have, and there's somebody that I know that is a great sort of marketing PR support person. And I think I need that because I want to be able to do more, but you know, like I don't know how to do Twitter. And if I could just have somebody, you know, show me these, these things. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I, I could use help. And that's the thing, you know, as an entrepreneur, because and I am, you know, as an entrepreneur, because you are, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? No, I saw that. That was one of a question. It was in the, um, in the email and I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. I sort of looked it up in the dictionary because I'm like, well, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. And then it's like, Oh, that's what it means. So, so I hadn't really considered myself an entrepreneur. So when people ask you, so, you know, when you are at a cocktail party or at an event where you're kind of more, you know, where you have some anonymity, when people say, so, you know, what, what do you do for a living? How do you define yourself? I always have a little bit of a hard time. And I, I end up saying that I am a, a shelter dog expert and that I travel around the country trying to educate shelter people in every way I can that will make the industry better and make things better for the community, the people in the community, and the dog. So I sort of consider myself a, a shelter dog messenger, I guess. An advocate? You know, yeah, advocate. And that's where I think where my expertise lies. I mean, you know, I'm a dog trainer, but I don't do a lot of private consultations anymore. I love training my own dogs, of course, in all the sports. love that. But I don't teach group classes. I teach a bunch of internships, and I teach it dog camps, so I instruct at those places, but I don't have my own business, really, dog training anymore, personally. So do you look at all of the entities, and, what, and, and I want to talk about all of the different entities that you are, do you consider yourself the CEO of those entities, or the, the manager, or the owner? How do, you, how do you define it for yourself? I sit on the founder of my shelter and its national programs. 
And then I, I'm the director of two of the programs, and then Jean Kopelman is the director of the Training Wheels program. But I, you know, we, I just sort of say I'm a founder. And so when you're in that same kind of cocktail party environment, would you ever use the word founder? Or do you just talk um, more about the profession, the kind of the, the, what it is, which is the shelter dog advocate, shelter dog expert? Or would you ever call yourself a founder of those businesses that you run? I think I put out there first the fact that I, you know, deal with shelter dogs. And if somebody is interested in that, then that would be the next thing I start talking about. You know, I started my own shelter in 1993, blah, blah, blah. And I would, I would go into that and I would then talk about my national program. It's funny, yeah. Sue, because when I talk to people about you and your name comes up, obviously, you know, we run a school here in Chicago called Canine Link, the one that Lynn Brezina and I teach together. And when we talk about you and we use your materials to study behavior, you know, people consider you, and I don't know if you know this, and this is, I guess, where I guess I should have started here when we first started talking, but people consider you much beyond a dog behavior expert. People do consider you to be an entrepreneur. When we talk about businesses and we, I talk to other people who are looking to change careers and become a dog professional, so to speak, and perhaps start their own company, and we talk about entrepreneurs in the pet industry that they admire, your name comes up nine times out of ten. Does that no surprise idea. you? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> it shocks me. <laughs> does it? It does because because I'll tell you, I think of you as an entrepreneur. One hundred percent, twenty million times, think of you as an entrepreneur. Yeah, you know, like when you hear the word entrepreneur, what do you think of? What comes up in your head, and why? What images come up for you? I know you looked it up, you Googled it, which is awesome. But if you hadn't um, Googled it, what were you thinking before you Googled it? I don't know. I feel like you know, an entrepreneur is going to be this highly successful woman who dresses well and (laughs) makes a lot of money and, you know, affects many, many people. And, you know, I think you can have a business that has a goal, like just an industry thing or a product, or you can have a business where you say, I want to, I want to leave the world a better place when I leave it. I want to make a change that will, in whatever corner, you know, you can make a change for the better. So that would be a I guess I I don't I don't know. I, I never consider myself that successful. I feel like I feel like I still, you know, I need to get the word out there. I don't think I'm very good at making money. <laughs> Although, you know, we have enough money to run a shelter and, and run the national programs and get them out there and all of that. And I certainly you know I make money when I go and lecture. But I don't know. That's so interesting that my name comes up for that. I feel like somebody that's an entrepreneur is good at math and good at financial stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's not me. Oh, my gosh, Sue. I almost feel like if I can reach through and hug, I would right now. This is a hugging moment. So you said things. I actually just took some notes. So you consider, and I asked you what you thought about entrepreneurs. You said dress as well, makes money, and affects people. And then kind of the second thing you said to that, it was leaving the world a better place. So entrepreneurs, right, especially women entrepreneurs come in all different shapes and sizes and and have all different types of wardrobes. But at the end of the day, an entrepreneur is someone who has a vision. For me, this is how I think of an entrepreneur, someone who is impacting the world with a vision and is true to that vision and is doing nothing to stop. Nothing will get in the way of that vision, I think. And you can be a sole entrepreneur or you can be an entrepreneur who also employs people and helps other people in that same vein. So it's my understanding, right, that you have people on payroll, correct? Yes, yes. You have I have a, a staff, I have a manager who runs the shelter, and yeah. 
Okay. So then you make money and you are affecting people to probably one of the largest degrees in the animal industry. So I'll check that off. You're certainly going to leave the world a better place um, again, you know, to infinity and beyond. And in terms of dressing, well, listen, I like the way you dress. I think you dress great. Uh, There's nothing wrong with a hoodie and jeans. Let me tell you right now. I am wearing a hoodie and jeans right now. So I don't know. From where I sit, I think that you fit all of the criteria of being one of the best entrepreneurs in the industry. And this whole thing about, really, I mean, this is, I don't know if this is even my opinion so much as it's just a fact. Like, I don't, it's funny, Sue. Like, I don't think that I'm like, well, no, you you are, maybe you are an entrepreneur. Like, to me, it's almost like the sky is blue. Sue's an entrepreneur. You know, this whole, we get into this whole thing. I think as women, especially, this happens because I know I struggle Mm -hmm. with this a lot. You know, I've started four companies and I'm in my fourth company with um, FetchFind right now, which is this digital business. But I came from this place of just like training dogs and walking dogs and teaching people how to be dog trainers and doing all these things mm-hmm. that required me to be in, in jeans and a hoodie and a baseball cap and and hands full of treats and pockets full of poop bags. And so, God, that's mm-hmm. definitely not what an entrepreneur does. You know, I also, I hate numbers. I thought I hated numbers. I thought I hated math. I thought I hated all of those kind of structural things that, you, that I think are required in order to be, you know, uber successful. And I never considered myself an entrepreneur. I was always a business owner, a business owner, a business owner, and a dog trainer, and a dog trainer, mm-hmm. as a CPD team, a business owner. Like, that's what I did. And then mm-hmm. when I started Fetch Find, and I had a, I was, which is a digital company, which is, it's a digital company, it's low touch, and it's technology, mm-hmm. and it's fundraising, and it's all of these things that I'd never had experience in before. And I've had this word entrepreneur shoved in my face because it's this world that I've been living in over the last 18 mm-hmm. months. And what I've learned is that I was always like what I've learned now, even though I'm forced to now say that I am an entrepreneur and I believe that 100%. But all of the things that made me that business owner, dog trainer person where I had clients in my classes and I had mm-hmm. students in my classroom and I had that was true entrepreneur. That, that was truly being an entrepreneur because um, when you're doing that, you're doing it without an agenda. You're just doing it out of pure passion. And it's almost like you don't even know that you're doing it. And then it just happens, which I feel is probably what's what happens to you. And like all of a sudden, this is just who you are. It's who you were born to be. And so, and when you throw the word entrepreneur at it, then all of a sudden it seems fabricated. Is that close? Yeah, Yeah, because I never think about it. You know, that's sort of the bigger picture way of looking down on on yourself, not looking down, but, you know, from outside looking in. And I spend my life inside looking out, you know, so. You mean like living in your head, you mean? No, just, you know, you go about your daily business. I do everything I do and I don't really have a label for myself that I think about, you know, you had defined it being an entrepreneur as somebody with a vision. And that resonates with me. You know, I definitely have a vision. And uh, I definitely do. We talk about that. Let's talk about Mm. that. So let's talk about what that vision is. What is it? What's the vision today? Well, my vision is make the shelter world a better place for dogs and people and uh, sort of change that world. I also, I mean, I have a few visions. I'm now, I have a vision to make dog parks a better place for dogs. I think it's not enough to say I I wouldn't take my own dog to a dog park or they're not great for dogs. You know, the fact of the matter is they're here to stay. They're increasing. And for many, many people, it's the only place that they can do anything with their dog. And so I really want to, I want to make that a better experience for the dogs there. Teach the people what they can do. Okay, so, all right, now we're going to go backwards for a second. So let's talk about the shelter and let's talk about, because I assume that, you know, obviously dog parks have become more prevalent over the last, what would you say, decade, five to ten years? Yeah. 
So what is it that turned your attention to the dog parks? Because I assume it was a kind of an organic approach to it. You didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to go look at a dog park and see if it sucks. I assume that there was something. <laughs> to- <laughs> yeah, so- no, I simply wanted to take my video camera and get some footage of dog dog behavior so I could study it and learn more. To apply it to your shelter work, correct? Yeah, and, you know, I want to create a behavior video library that will teach everyone and anyone from non-pet owners to pet owners to professionals so that they read dogs better, so they understand temperament more, and so they communicate better with dogs. So I wanted to study the dog-dog aspect of it. My parents live in New York City, so I went to visit them in New York City, and lots of dog parks in New York City, so I walked into a dog park with my camera, and within five minutes, a massive knockdown, drag out fight occurred. And uh, I ran into help, and they had broken it up. It was by the time I'd run over, and there were a bunch of dogs involved. And I thought, oh my God, people are going to, you know, this is really bad. And anyway, there was a, a foster person there with a, a pit bull that she was fostering, a rescue person with a, a pit bull. And uh, I think that dog had started the fight. You know, this is not dissing pit bulls, this is just the fact of what happened that day. So she was going to leave the dog park with the dog and everyone else said, no, 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 you can't leave. She needs the socialization. You've got to keep her here so she can learn. And, um, you know, they said, put a muzzle on her, but don't leave. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so strange. <laughs> and um, so I filmed again and literally, literally within 15 minutes, another fight broke out. And this time I just filmed it. And then I, I was gobsmacked. I was staggered by what goes on in dog parks. And what year I, was that? What oh year was that? God, I can't. Curiosity. I don't know. I think maybe like 2005, maybe a lot earlier. I have no idea. Maybe later. I don't. It's been years now. It's been years. So then, you know, that led to, was that a fluke? Is that just a particularly bad dog park? So I've been going to others. And then I go to them all around the country and I try to figure out, well, what makes a good dog park? Why are some of them better than others? And, and then it just... Uh, you know, I made a list of the five most common behaviors that I see at dog parks, you know, in my videos. And none of those top five behaviors have anything to do with play, which was horrifying to me because that's why people take their dogs to dog parks. And so I thought this territory needs somebody to move in and make it better to improve it. So I said to myself, I could do that. I needed to do that. It's sort of a side diversion from the shelter world, but not really because, you know, it's just dogs, and it's the owned half of the dogs instead of the we're-not-owned-yet half of the dogs. So, so anyway, so I got on that war path. Okay, so here you are as the um, founder and owner of a dog shelter, and you wanted to put together some educational materials, and you thought dog parks would be a great place to go and get some really raw, un- just very real video, and whatever this was, 10-plus years ago, and there you find that they're a mess, as we know, and I mean, they're an absolute mm-hmm. disaster and, and need a lot of help. And so at what point you had this realization that dog parks were in trouble and yet mm-hmm. you were still running the shelter. So at what point did you start to really put together, let's just call it a business plan, where you were putting together the app? What was the timeline for you to say, there's a problem I want to solve and I have a really good solution. And that solution ended up being, in this case, an iPhone app and obviously not just the app, but all of the lecturing and all of the materials that you've put forth. How long and how did that process go for you? Yeah, again, it's, it was, it's kind of invisible because it just happened. Well, you know, I started filming so I could learn about the dog behavior and study it. And then I started seeing things. So I would show the, some of the footage when I lectured. Then people thought I was an expert on dog parks. So I would get contacted when, you know, a town was going to build a dog park and 
what did I think the, you know, the best physical layout was. So, so I kind of ended up, you know, people sort of thought I was an expert on it. All, all I'm doing is, is studying them. But I don't know. I don't know. I thought to myself, one of the big problems in dog parks is that people are always on their cell phones. They're texting or making calls and they're not paying mm. any attention to their dogs. And so I thought, what's the best way to reach them? Oh and I gosh. thought, well, an app. <laughs> An app that would send out alerts that told them to not pay attention to the app, but pay attention to their dog. So. Okay, so by the way, if I can just throw this out there again, that's why you're an entrepreneur, because only an entrepreneur would do that. I mean, truly, that right there, like only an entrepreneur would say, there's a problem, I want to create a solution, and then find what we would consider like a distribution channel for that solution. Like, that's why you're always named one of the best entrepreneurs in the pet industry, right there. That's why, because you have the ability to see that need and how to fill it. So, okay, so you went, and so how long of a life cycle was there in saying to somebody, I assume a developer, hey, I want to build this app because I think it's going to help people um, in the way that it needs to. How long, when did that conversation and how long until it was actually launched? Oh, it probably took a couple of years of sort of, because I didn't think I bought any apps or had any apps at that point. You know, I had an iPhone, but I didn't really know what an app was technically. And then I talked to a couple people in the tech world and they're like, oh, you know, that would make a great app. And, and then I had the idea, I mean, I really wanted video footage, you know, photographs are great, the video is better. And right. so I finally contacted a, a company in upstate New York and I talked to the owner of that company and, and he really, I thought, understood what I wanted to convey. But at that time, there really wasn't a template, I guess, that they could use to put all that video in there. So it took a bit of time for them to get back to me and say, yes, we can do it and here's the technology and whatever. So it, all, it all took years. Yeah. You, how much were you a part of those discussions? I mean, obviously, you were a part of the discussions in terms of content, but how much were you a part of that discussion in terms of kind of what the user would experience and that sort of thing? Did you partake in that? Yeah, or did you, yeah no, a lot. Um, did you enjoy that? A lot. And I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think now having gone through that experience, obviously, I'd be better at, you know, really ha know what I'm doing for the next time. But, um, you know, I gave that company my book, Out and About with Your Dog, which talks a lot about dog parks. And um, some of them are pet owners and some of them don't own dogs at all. And they thought it was fascinating and really interesting. And then they, they sort of understood what I wanted to convey. I like that what keeps happening during this conversation is no matter what, we keep coming back to the fact that you're an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that I'm just like a broken record. You're going to hang up and you're going to be like, well, I thought this was this dog behavior conversation, which it totally is, by the way. But I just have to point out, you know, this is what an incredible business mind you have. I mean, truly, what an incredible business mind you have. You are, you see the need, you see the need, you identify the need, you figure out what that solution is, and then you implement and you deliver. It's one thing, there are a lot of people who have great ideas, but if you can't execute, then they're just good ideas and you find a way to execute. And it's just really inspiring and incredible and to the degree that you execute. It's not just some little thing that you that you're able to put forth but you're really doing this and you're making like and it's also controversial too it's not like you've created an app about you know what color apples are or whether green beans or carrots are better for your dog i mean you're creating like material and products that are you know that people have a hard time with that people have a hard time saying oh okay i get that people don't want to necessarily hear what you have to say and yeah. i want to talk about that but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get to talking about how you really piss people off Okay. And how, uh, how smart people tend to do that sometimes. Okay, so with that, we're talking with Sue Sternberg. We're going to take a few minutes break to hear from some sponsors. And we'll be back with the wonderful, lovely, and entrepreneurific Sue Sternberg. 
Jill, I see you and Bella are enjoying this lovely day as well. It's a perfect day for a walk. Isn't that right, Bella? And what a colorful ID tag you have, Bella. It certainly puts my Rusty's boring engraved tag to shame. Isn't it great? It's a dog tag art tag. Dog tag art? Yeah. Dog tag art makes the world's coolest pet ID tags. Pick from hundreds of cute designs or upload your photos or artwork to create a unique tag of your own. They even give you four lines of text on the back of the tag for important contact information. I love it! But do they hold up? We have to replace Rusty's metal tags so often because the information wears away. Dog tag art tags are some of the highest quality pet tags out there. They're made with super durable stainless steel. Your information is always legible and the tags are guaranteed for life. Well, I'm sold. Where can I get my dog tag art tag for Rusty? Dogtagart.com. Shopping there is so easy and fun. You're sure to find one that matches Rusty's personality perfectly. Sounds great. We can't wait to get online and get a tag of our own. Dogtagart.com. We keep best friends together. Use the coupon code RADIO for a 25% discount off any tag. Active for Pets is a new wellness platform and app that helps pet parents save time and money on their vet bills. Stop paying for unnecessary vet treatments. Consult with the vet online. Get unlimited access to your pet's entire health history from any computer or smartphone with the Active for Pets app. Vaccinations, medications, test results, and more. Active 4 Pets gives you access to a team of expert vets for non-emergency care. Make an appointment before, during, or after office hours. Skip the waiting room and get a secure online vet consult on your schedule. Taking care of your pets is as easy as it gets with Active 4 Pets. Ready to try Active 4 Pets? Listeners get 40% off a one-year membership. To get this great offer, use promo code PETLIFE on the sign-up page of Active4Pets.com. That's A-C-T-I-V, the number 4, P-E-T-S, dot com. Or call 888-512-2848. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, we're back. We're back with Sue Sternberg. And we just spent uh, about a half hour talking about what a brilliant entrepreneur she is and some of the ways in which she's addressed the problem that shelter dogs are experiencing in this world. And now we're going to get down to some nitty gritty around what is happening in the shelter world right now. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this. This is a tough subject. And I know I mentioned that people don't like to hear a lot about what you say, because listen, it's hard to be a teacher around a subject that is emotionally driven and emotionally centered. So what do you think? What needs to be said that isn't being said or what's not being heard? Well, you know, the big picture, what's happening now in the shelter world, and I don't think we're prepared for it well, but if you look at the shelter world in the United States in the 1970s, we were euthanizing 23 million dogs and cats a year just because there were too many. And it was a real surplus problem. It was really true dog overpopulation. And we started this spay-neuter campaign back then, and it's really taken hold. And we think that it is the spay-neuter campaign, although no one's really researched it, but we think it's a spay-neuter campaign that really has brought the numbers down. And right now, in the shelter world, the estimates are anywhere from 2 to 4 million dogs and cats 
euthanized annually. It's still a gross number. I mean, you know, it's in the millions. But I think of that two to four million, I think the majority are cats because we haven't really figured out the cat problem. But we've really brought down dog overpopulation. And we don't believe, except in some of the rural parts of the southern, southwestern United States, that there's a lot of dog overpopulation. And that characterized by a litter of unwanted puppies. Like if you had a litter and you couldn't find them homes because everyone had a dog or no one wanted a dog. And it's really not the case anymore. There's a bit of a geography case in that the southern shelters who still get litters of puppies, if they get transported north to shelters that never have puppies, <laughs> they will get adopted quickly. But we're dealing with very different issues in the shelter world. And everyone has always said in the shelter world, oh, we want to put ourselves out of business. Oh, we want to get to where we just don't have any dogs and cats anymore. But I'm just going to talk dogs. That's what I know. And the problem is in the 70s, like the percentage, I'm guessing, I, I got into the shelter world in the 80s. And um, so I'll say in the 80s, I would say there's, let's say, a certain number, a fairly large number of the dogs in shelters are really nice dogs. They're really behaviorally sound. They'd make a great pet companion. They're just great dogs, good, good temperament, and would make a super, super family pet. And there were a lot of those, and a lot of those, if not most of them, were getting euthanized because of just sheer numbers. And then in the 80s as well, we had a portion of dogs that were sort of borderline gray area, hard, you know, they're not easy dogs that maybe not very sociable or maybe they could bite in the wrong circumstance, but they're not dangerous, not going to kill anyone. And then there are the dangerous dogs. Sue, I'm going to interrupt you because I want to make sure that we're being, let's make sure we talk about some definitions because obviously I know what you're talking about. Let's just make sure that we have definitions around what dangerous and sociability. Let's just do like five seconds on those so there's no misunderstanding about what we're trying to talk about here. So when you talk about sociability, you talk about a dog's ability to interact appropriately with humans. Am I correct? Yeah, in an affectionate way. To want to interact with humans, to defer to them and to want to look for communication. Sociability, we see that it correlates, or lack of sociability is correlated with more aggression. And the dogs with more sociability are correlated with dogs who have less aggression. And if you look at dogs as, I'm talking, you know, dogs as, in terms of aggression thresholds, the best dogs have very high thresholds where it would create, you know, you have to pile every bad thing on top of them for them to get pushed to the point where they'd even want to bite. And so they have very high thresholds. It's hard to reach those thresholds in their lifetime. And if they were to hit a threshold, which most dogs hit a threshold in their lives, they do very little. We want them to just growl or just, you know, lift a corner of their lip instead of hospitalizing or mauling. So those are the high aggression threshold dogs are the best companions, pets, dogs in this in society. When you're talking about gray dogs, you're talking about dogs that don't necessarily meet the requirements of being a highly sociable dog. Right. Or they could be highly sociable, but they could also have a low aggression threshold area, like resource guarding. A low threshold meaning takes very little to get them to bite or they're very, very dog aggressive. Like they would kill another dog, but they're great with people. So along that, so there's a number of different, so we're talking about just threshold for aggression in general, not necessarily. Yeah. All right. Just want to make sure that we're talking, making sure we're clear with people about these definitions. Yeah. So, okay. So sociability, threshold for aggression, whether a dog, you know, does a growl or a, maybe a whale eye, a big round eye, maybe a lip lift versus a puncture, multiple punctures, et cetera. Right. And a whale eye, I, I don't consider on the aggression, aggression. threshold. Right. Okay. It's a stress. It's a stress sign. Okay. Great. Freeze. Okay. That freeze is that first 
one on the aggression threshold, I think. Okay, great. Okay, so now that we have talked, so... so The proportion yep. of those three categories, the, the whatever, the dog's very unaggressive, potentially aggressive, and very aggressive, or however you want to put through those three categories. What's happened is that as a shelter, because we always, in the shelter world, we see the unwanted portion of the dog's ones that people don't want. And so when you decrease the numbers of dogs, the first population the shelters stop seeing are the behaviorally easy and highly adoptable ones. So we have, there's, we still have them. There's still many around, but they're less and less. And they're less and less every year. And what we have now is more, or maybe it just feels like more because there are less really easy dogs. We have more gray area dogs, and we certainly have more dangerous dogs. Our spay-neuter message has reached a lot of pet people, and it doesn't tend to reach people who have working or sporting dogs. So, you know, in the rural areas, you've got ranchers with collie mixes and sheepdog-type dogs intact because uh, that's the belief, or and maybe it's true, they, they work better. And in the urban areas or in higher crime areas, you get the work is guarding and the sport is right. fighting. We're getting a lot of fighting and guarding type dogs and mixes thereof in the shelters and a lot of them. And so at the same time that the numbers of really easy dogs is disappearing, it's still there. It's not gone. And the dogs are more difficult and many of them are more dangerous. At the same time, the nation is trying to go no kill. And we've never really defined what does no kill mean? But what every shelter that I have visited is trying to do, and it's a good thought, is to raise their adoption rates or their live release rate, which means the dog makes it out alive, whether it goes to a rescue group or back to its owner or uh, into another shelter or gets adopted. Live release rate, increase the live release rate, and lower euthanasia rate. And if you look at the two populations, you can't be done unless you want to start placing biting dogs with and real problem dogs with the general public in your community. And so that's happening. I mean, let's just be honest. That's happening. I mean, it's happening a lot. I live in Chicago and your shelters in New York. I mean, what's going on? What do we do? Yeah. Well, it's like if you work in the rescue world, you want to save all the dogs and you want to, you know, you look at a dog and you're a professional and you look at a dog and you're like, well, if I owned the dog, he'd be fine. You know, I know what to do. I know how to manage him. I know how to train him. (laughs) Maybe. um, (laughs) But you place him with a member of the general public who, you know, there's, they have lives. They don't go to dog training seminars every weekend. (laughs) And you put the same dog in the home with the average person and that dog's going to bite or create huge problems in the very least. And um, the irony or the paradox, it's a paradox, is I don't think anyone understands what it is to adopt a problem dog, depending on what the problems are, unless they have lived with those behavior problems before. And the person who has lived with a dog-aggressive dog or a a resource-guarding dog, or a dog that bites strangers, or whatever the problem is, a person who has had that dog, you love that dog, you have loved that dog, and you understand, and maybe you made it through successfully with that dog, but in your next dog, do you want to do it again? And most of those people will say, no, I don't want to have to, it was very stressful living that way, I loved that dog, I would never want to have not had that dog, but if I have to adopt another dog, I would rather start with a dog that doesn't have those issues. The paradox is if you can handle and you know how to handle, you really don't want 
that type of dog. And if you don't and you have not handled it and somebody's trying to tell you, you know, well, he's, you know, dog aggressive and, you know, you have to work on that and people don't really know what it means to live with that, they'll say, okay, or maybe you don't tell them anything about the dog because you you're not looking at temperament or you don't care. And people take these dogs home. I think it's duping them. I think we dupe a lot of innocent families and people that come to our shelters. They're looking for a companion. They're looking for a dog that can be successful in society. They are willing to train. People today, you know, it's all about dogs. People today put a lot of effort into their dogs, and they don't need a perfect dog, but they want one that will be successful. And um, in many cases now, whether you adopt from a rescue or a shelter, people are being given huge project problem dogs in the name of we don't want to euthanize as much. And, so, you know, I understand both sides of that. So this is interesting. So two things that pop up to me here um, and two things that seem clear to me. I always say this, and I think this is exactly what you're saying. And I think it's a hard thing to say, but people deserve really good dogs. People deserve mm-hmm. to have a good dog because everyone mm-hmm. is busy. We've got careers and kids and we read books and we go to movies and we have dinners and we have hobbies mm-hmm. and we have relatives and we have things and we have sleep and we have things that we have to do and, and problem dogs become another thing to do. And that's the reality mm-hmm. of life. And that's, that's what's mm-hmm. happening. And people do deserve good dogs. And I do think that I've seen over the last 15 to 20 years a real decrease in that. Do you think, I just thought of this just now, Sue. Tell me what you think about this. Oh, wow. This is kind of crazy. So as you know very well, um, and certainly as I know, there's a huge, in the marketplace now, there are a lot of, you know, be a dog trainer today type of things, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. lots of resources, whether they're a digital online resource or they're in-person mm-hmm. class. There's, you know, lots of things that people want to become dog trainer. APDT is the Association of Pet Dog Trainers uh, membership has yep. gone up. There's new organizations popping up for dog trainers all the time. Holy cow. So what I think is happening is that we're seeing Mm -hmm. a huge increase in the profession. We're seeing a big, uh, what's that word when something uh, becomes, what's that word? There's a big um, climb of dog. There's a lot. Yeah, there's all, there are all these new dog trainers because the demand is so high. So is it possible that we're seeing the dog? Oh my gosh. Wait, ready? Do you think that we're seeing, <laughs> sorry, I, this is how, <laughs> this is a moment, hold on here. So we, we've just reached $60 billion. This industry is now a $60 billion industry, right? They just, those numbers just yeah. were announced a couple of months ago in Orlando. So we have a $60 billion industry. We're seeing an, an increase in the marketplace for people to become dog professionals, where it be dog trainer, dog groomer, dog walker, dog, what have you. Is it possible that some of the reason that the demand is becoming so high is because the problems are increasing? It's not that the dog... I mean, obviously, there's an increase in dog ownership. I know that there's a number, there's a statistic around that. But do you think that some of the demands in the marketplace is because the dogs are so difficult now and they're not just throw some elbow in their bowl, let them go in the backyard, and little Tommy's coming in, no big deal, we're taking the dog to the soccer game? I mean, that's what's going on, right? Yes, dogs are becoming, are more difficult, more problematic in general. And also, it's harder to be a dog today. People are more intrusive. There's more people. There's less space to move around. There's less nature that you can go into with a dog, less places you can take a dog off leash. People are owning more than one dog, and that's an exponential amount of work, having two instead of one. And um, so it's just harder to be a dog. And meanwhile, dogs are getting more, well, there's a population of dogs that are more problematic. We're seeing less and less of the easy dog. There are parts of the country in shelters where they have not seen a sociable, sweet, easy, behaviorally adoptable dog in so long they no longer believe it exists. You're kidding me. I am not kidding you. You are telling me that. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. No, not at all. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I want to make sure. (laughs) Wait a minute. 
Did you just say that there are literally there are shelters right now in this country who don't believe that there are any more sociable, appropriate, low risk no, dogs? No, they believe that there are appropriate dogs and sociable dogs, and they're saying that those are the ones that are the best in their population. They are not seeing the best dogs. They're seeing only gray area and um, in, in their shelters. Yes, yeah, so they don't know that this other entity, this highly, this very sweet, affectionate, behaviorally appropriate, very adaptable dog, they don't know that entity exists. So where are those dogs coming from? Where are those great dogs coming from? Mostly southern rural areas. Southern um, rural areas. Yes, but it's so interesting because the, the line across the country, like on the east, when I first started my shelter, you know, I would visit shelters everywhere else and then I would see these really great dogs, and some of them were getting euthanized, not because the shelter was bad, because they didn't know good dogs from bad dogs, or they didn't have enough adopters. So very early on, we started transporting adoptable dogs, and the line on the East Coast was Virginia, Northern Virginia. If you sort of in there, there were started to be those really lots of those great Southern sweet dogs, and the line has dropped. It's dropping and dropping as I don't know as the world changes. It's it's interesting. It, there's a whatever it's a it's a, well there's a geographic shift because of all those other variables that you spoke to so what would happen if you were a tomorrow appointed dog shelter czar and you got to say this is what the new law of the land is this is how we're going to approach the 2.4 animals let's just call them two million dogs in shelters nationally mm-hmm. right now this is what we're going to do and let's just play with some statistics let's say that 70 percent of those dogs are gray area to tough pet dogs let's just call it that mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. would your decision be what would be the solution? Oh, well, it's a, really, it's a really hard thing. So on the one hand, you're like, well, what do you do with them all? What do you do with all your biting dogs in the shelter? Do you just kill them all? You can't just kill them all. And when the reason why that question is so hard to answer is because the whole concept of a shelter is flawed. It's flawed. It's Deeply. intervening in the timeline of a dog way too late. We are waiting till they're born and raised wrong and bred from the wrong dogs and given to people who don't have good advice and discarded and unwanted. And then we take them in and then we say, oh, well, we're going to make these dogs into pets and whatever. We need to be intervening much earlier in the timeline. We need to be, as a nation or as a world, if we're going to breed dogs as companions and as pets and as working dogs, we should be breeding the best dogs. And nobody really is breeding for a great successful pet dog. So we're spaying and neutering the wrong dogs. I believe we are, which is not to say that we should stop spaying and neutering. You don't need to be, listen, um, I understand, listen, I know what you're doing right now and I get why you're making that statement. You've done, and I know that you're probably conditioned to do so, right? To say, to make a statement that is controversial or, and then say, I don't mean that. It's like you said earlier, I actually wrote down, I'm not dissing pit bulls when you talked about that fight at the dog park mm-hmm. earlier in New York. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's hard because you have to always, don't you find that when you're when you're having these discussions and you're trying to get the message out that you do have to do some ample backpedaling because you're, you're saying things that can be easily misconstrued. But the reality is, right, that we are spaying and neutering the wrong dogs. That is true. I mean, yeah. I think I think that's true. And, and losing, losing you should the be, great dogs. Yes. And I think that's, listen, that's not going to land on everyone's ear <laughs> the right way. I get that. I hope I'm creating a safe enough environment for you to be able to feel comfortable saying that because I feel the same way that, and there are a lot of us who do, and I know that you know that um, more than anybody, that we are spaying and neutering the wrong dogs. I have at home, I have two collies. I have a rough coat and a smooth coat. Both came from breeders as rescues, one at eight years old, one at four years old. Mm-hmm. Two girls, they came to me. One came intact, one was not. And or one was spayed, one wasn't. And long story short, they're phenomenal dogs. I mean, they're just like, 
honestly, they're the greatest dogs. They're collies, right? So there you go right there. But they're mm-hmm. these great dogs. And if I had my druthers and if I felt like it wouldn't completely ruin my life and my career and my reputation and my household and my finances and my everything else, and if it were medically possible, I would re-implant uterus size. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the reproductive organs and I would breed them tomorrow and I would give them to people who have had hard dogs, those puppies, Mm -hmm. and I would let them have the experience of this is what a pet dog should feel like. And so, you know, I look at my dogs and I think, well, this this is not possible for them anymore for reasons tenfold. But I think of all of the dogs that I know that are like my colleagues, meaning sociable and appropriate and and great bite inhibition Mm -hmm. and all of the things that make them amazing. Mm -hmm. And I want everyone to have my dog. I mm-hmm. want everyone to have the experience of, of Whisper and Mimsy because yeah. life, life is really easy with an easy dog. Life is awesome. Yeah. Your dog world, I don't do any, I still feed them great food and we take classes and we do things and we're still active, but it's because it's pleasant, not because I have to. But I don't know how to communicate that. Do you know how to communicate that? Like, I don't know how to say to someone, listen, when they say, Jamie, should I get this dog? He's got, uh, I look at him, I take one look at him and I think, of course, you shouldn't get that dog. That's a terrible pet. Um, Why in the world would you adopt that dog? Why don't you get a collie like Mimsy? But like, how do you message that? Like, what is your, have you found a formula or a conversation or a statement that works to say to someone, why do you want to have a hard life with your dog? Well, I mean, the thing is like people really want, it's very chic right now to adopt or rescue. The thing is, you can get a good dog from a shelter or a rescue. You just have to look hard and, you know, it may not be quick. Just the way, like, if you want a good dog from a breeder, it's often not quick either. You know, you can go to a pet shop, which you don't want to support, and get a quick fix and get a dog right away, you know. But the process right now of getting a good dog or puppy, whether it's from a shelter, rescue, or a reputable breeder, it's going to take time to find the right dog the right match for what people want and they're out there on both sides I think we need to have a sort of a nationwide powwow or start a committee or a group of people to talk about the future of the pet dog I've said this for a long time tried to get a grant to you know to pay to get a bunch of the big thinkers in the world together because we need to start breeding dogs as for pets that's their work that's their sport is pets and they're not necessarily purebreds you know I think this whole idea that only purebreds are worthwhile breeding and mixed breeds are worthless. It reeks of racism. It's just, it's wrong. Dogs are dogs and we should be breeding the best female dog to the best male dog, the most successful pet female to the most successful pet male. And that's how you breed and get a good one. That's how a good rancher gets good stock dogs. He breeds his best working female to his or somebody else's best working male dog to get puppies that can do the job that he wants them to do. And we need dogs and breeders who are breeding healthy and behaviorally healthy dogs that would make good pets. And that come in a variety of shapes and sizes and coats and whatever. And you need to get the shelter people behind that. Yeah, everyone needs to get behind it. You know, in 10 years, ask yourself, where are you going to get your next dog from? And if you work in the shelter world and you think, oh, I would only adopt, well, what are you going to do in 10 years? And uh, what are we all going to do in 10 years? If there are, we have to start addressing it. Am I so, hearing you say something that the show, can I kind of a conclusive statement? I feel like what I'm hearing you say, and by the way, I don't disagree with you, is that the shelter world is bringing the pet dog world to its knees. Oh, God, I think... I'm sorry, I, I know that's dog, a big one. The dog world. No, I'm not sure. Okay, so, and that's a dramatic statement. I'm, I tend to the dramatic sometimes, but, and that is a dramatic statement, but is it that, so what is it? So that statement, let's let that statement hang there for a second. How would you adjust that statement? 
oh, I think that, that everyone is kind of responsible for what's going on right now. We don't have enough reputable breeders because it, by being reputable, they're not producing enough. They're being too reputable. Right. And they can't, you know, they're not really affecting the future of their particular breed. And a lot of breeds are having huge health problems because it's a closed gene pool. Right. Which is a, you know, an inherent, you know, cannibalistic problem with the purebred uh, closed gene pool. And um, shelters are absolutely, shelters and rescues, we are putting out more dangerous dogs and much more problematic dogs. I can only speak anecdotally, but I believe we're seeing way more dogs being attacked by other dogs on the street coming out of nowhere. People with especially smaller dogs who get killed really quickly. At least the ones reporting to me that I'm hearing about, I think there's an increase in dog-to-dog aggression out there that we're placing. Yep. Yeah, the shelter world and the rescue world, we are responsible for that. But at the same time, um, you know, the AKC has let in all the, you know, they're now registering all these guarding breeds from other countries. Well, what the hell? We don't need guard dogs. And you can't say, well, you know, it's a... XYZ guarding breed from Spain, and if you socialize them right and train and, you know, provide your, your, make yourself a big leader, it'll all turn out okay. Look, it might turn out okay, but the majority of these dogs are guard dogs. And, you know, maybe 200 years ago in Spain, the communities needed guard dogs, but we don't need guard dogs in this country. And so the AKC is responsible, too, for bringing in and popularizing dogs that already don't make good pets. They weren't bred to be pets. So I think they have a problem, too. For people who want to hear you speak so openly and can't get to one of your seminars, or what's the best way for them to have interaction with you? Is it through your Facebook page? Do you have mm-hmm. a blog that you want to talk about? Because I, I feel like this is what people, I want to help get people access to you. What's the best way to do that? Oh, well, right now, the problem with my Facebook page is I have 5,000 friends already. I, I know you and, do. <laughs> um, and and I, I want more friends because I want to reach more people. So I don't know. I think I'll have to start a page, I guess. Yeah. Which seems just so narcissistic, but I think I do have to start a page. But you can contact me, you know, through Facebook, through Facebook Messenger, through my Train to Adopt website, through Great Dog Productions website. <laughs> you know, people can email me. They I have... Some of my seminars have been recorded and are being sold through Tauser dog videos. And I have, you know, books and DVDs that do talk about some of these issues. Okay. And I need to start a blog. I definitely need to start a blog. Well, only because you have so much to say and people want to hear you and you are so impactful and so bright and so innovative that these things, you know, the reason I had you as my first guest wasn't simply for those reasons, that your message every time is so, so impactful and so profound and I know that people want more of you and uh, <laughs> they want as much to as they can get so right now I will make sure that there's connections to greatdogproductions.com traintoadopt.com animalsforadoption.org and of course um, your Facebook page to come that's going to be your public page so you can get lots and lots of people to hear your message and hear your voice and then I'll start pushing people to your Twitter we'll get you up and running on your Twitter okay because <laughs> <laughs> that's you know you're going to see a couple of things come from us on your Twitter so you'll have no choice but to go and see what we're having to say all right this has been a long wonderful episode Uh, i think we've been on uh, on this interview for well over an hour and it's been one of the best hours of my career truly i'm honored and i'm touched by you giving me all this time i think that if when people listen i I hope that we've given people something to think about and even if those thoughts are creates a little bit of discomfort or a little bit of anger or resentment that hopefully the message that is meant to inspire and meant to impact dogs and people for good or is, is something that people can access. 
Sue, you are lovely and inspiring and amazing, and I'm so happy to have this time with you. Look for all of this stuff to come out via social media, and we'll get some good traction around people hearing your thoughts and your message. Is there anything else that you want to say before we end today? No, just that I hope that some of these ideas, these issues, these opinions, these observations cause people to want to have conversations and questions instead of threats. I love it. Thank you. I agree with that 100%. Thank you so much, my guest, Sue Sternberg, the glorious Sue Sternberg, who probably turning red right now with all of my compliments. So I'll stop. But I do really appreciate this time from you, Sue. This is Jamie Migdahl. You just listened to uh, episode one of Pets Mean Business with the uh, dog behavior shelter dog expert and entrepreneur, (laughs) Sue Sternberg. We'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.